On this episode, Oscars. Otessa Mosh Feggs, my year of rest and relaxation. We're talking if Beale Street could talk. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Cursed. Curse you. Cursed. Curse you, Andrew Young. Welcome to Clappers. This is Andrew Young. And I am Carl Quinn. Carl? Yes, Andrew. Do you like dumplings? Oh, yeah. I'm new to dumplings. So am I. Well, How no, I, good? Good, I'm good, not good. that new to dumplings. Good. Tell me this. I had mm. some dumplings on Monday night. Mm. Okay. I had... Twelve dumplings for four, for for fourteen dollars. <laughs> no, but that's all I had. I just had that and hot and sour soup. Right. Okay. okay. I'm not. Into, I'm not the sharer. As so you that's know. about that's about one dollar eleven per. No, it's, one, it's about one dollar sixteen. Yeah, and it, it, I walked around in the car on the way. Right, uh, and and I thought that that's, that represents pretty good value. Yeah, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I had I had the, like I said the hot and sour yeah. soup. So that meal came to around twenty dollars. Yeah. Then a bottle of absurdly underpriced. Blanc de Blanc for nineteen dollars. It was as dry as you like. Mm. So good. It's I, like I really enjoy it when you, put, when you talk about prices. Yeah, I, I, I love it. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So I want to ask you this question. You, you know the bottomless concept, right? Yes. I think I first heard about it with bottomless coffee. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, so yeah. you know the concept, of course. Bottomless dumplings. I worked with a guy once who was bottomless. He, was, he literally had no bottom. I've never seen such a skinny bottomed oh, person on the planet. <laughs> so can I just ask you what you think if, in terms of value? I know you don't really understand the yeah. concept of value, but I'm going oh, no, to trust, no. I I'm trust the conce- you. Con- uh, concept of value. I okay. sometimes think you only understand the con- concept of price, Andrew Young. So let, let me ask you this. Yes. $20 bottomless dumplings. Yeah. How many could you eat, and how many? Do well, you not think many because because eat? by virtue of them having no bottom, they just keep dripping out into yeah. the bowl, or so, possibly over your lap. It would so be very messy. How, how many do you think constitutes good value? Oh dear! 20, all right, twenty dollars bottomless yeah. dumplings. Yeah. This sounds like Homer Simpson's ideal restaurant. <laughs> I had. Um, That's a pub down the road. I, I don't know. I mean, what, what are you saying? How many would be like I can't eat anymore? Well, how many would you would you be be okay, satisfied that you've paid your twenty dollars and you've you've, you've okay. not you've gotten your value right. for your money? Twenty dollars yeah. doesn't have to take a long you'd time. Ha- you'd have to get uh, probably fifteen at 15, least. Fifteen, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. Could, and you would eat fifteen, and that would be oh, it. You I think could 15, you? Yeah, you'd probably be by about eight. You'd be going. I think I've had enough. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's per head, is it? Is it like... Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So you come so, in, you give them the 20 bucks. I, and I reckon it's one of those things that sounds like a great deal. Exactly. But who the hell is ever exactly. going to eat $20 worth of dumplings? I'm not going to... 20 is what I reckon is the value point. Right. 20. And I'm, I can't see myself eating... No. Tw- unless I'm there for four hours. Now, if you're there... <laughs> if you want to be there for four hours, you've got a book or a, or a rowdy group of friends and yeah, plenty yeah, of yeah. beers, like I say, it's in the pub, mm. then you can make that work for you. Okay? If you want to, like block out mm. a, a four hour period yep. where it's just you your mates beers dumplings you could really come away with a sense of, of personal satisfaction yeah. and having yeah. spent your money well like I did on Monday night for mm. instance here's what I'd say about dumplings mm. yes. $20 dumplings yes. like, dumplings good Yeah, 20 dumplings not good anymore yeah. no yeah, yeah, too, yeah. Many. too many too many so, so, so we'll tell the listener avoid it's it's false value, my friends. False value. If you see that sign when you're driving or on the tram, think, ooh, and then think, what did Andrew say? What did Carl say? I'm going to keep on going to Russell Street and get myself some real value. Carl, I'm sure that you spent Monday... 
post lunch, post dumplings lunch, watching the Oscars. No time for dumplings. With your pad and pen. I no pad and pen. Stylus. No and stylus. No stylus. It was there was definitely Mind a keyboard. Tablet. Keyboard. Yep. I live blog the Oscars. I, I, okay. I, uh, Did you say anything funny? Oh, I couldn't tell you because honestly, it is <laughs> a you blur. <laughs> no, I can't because it's a blur. I wrote, I write uh, four thousand, just under four thousand eight hundred words mm. on on Monday in the live blog, and it is such just it just whirs by, right? Yeah, okay. And I, I, I'd probably call it typing rather than writing because yes. I don't actually know what I'm what's doing. What's the purpose of the live blog? It's, it's, to, it's to say, hey, this is what's happening now, okay. right it's, now. It's not to be interesting or entertaining. It's just to say, if I can manage person it, A crosses no, threshold, if I, if person B. If I can B, manage it, it's to be interesting yep. and entertaining. Okay, uh, yep. I, I would add that there are other people feeding in bits and pieces of information and commentary. Uh, Michael Adato was in the in the press room backstage at the Dolby Theatre in LA, so he, <gasps> he got snippets of interviews from people Lucky. as they came out with their yes. statuette and talked to the press. Uh, we had Gary Maddox up in Sydney mm. throwing in the odd piece and a bit and piece. Brody Carmody doing the odd bit and piece down here. Our fonts would have made uh, a beeline straight for Michael Adele. You're f- you're from the age. Yes. Must talk to you. Yes, indeed. And uh, and my, my colleague Matthew Burgess was the poor bunny who had to actually physically build the thing because there's a problem with our system, our content I, I management system, which is question. that only one person can be in it at a time. <laughs> so that means one poor bunny has to be the jockey who's pulling it all together. It's just Seriously, mm. it, it it is a real it's a, it's a kind of a nightmare job, but also a lot of fun. Great, right? it is it is an enjoyable thing to do. I, I did the I did the Golden Globes. I've done I've done quite a lot of these things over the years, and it is it is just a blur. It really mm. is. And at the end of it, you go, I don't know what I wrote. I hope it wasn't defamatory, abusive, or mm-hmm. incoherent. But it might have been. There's a probably about an even chance that it was at some point. You know. Were you satisfied with the awards? Did you find it an enjoyable uh, experience? If you were, imagine you were you, me. You imagine you were me, and I'm sitting on the sofa, and I'm making imaginary bets because I'm all by myself. Okay. I've got no one to drink sparkling wine with or okay. make so, bets so with. There are a couple of ways of approaching that question. Yep. Yep. Right. Uh, I'm sure one you'll is, take them. One is, was it a good TV experience? Yep. I think it was pretty bland. Yep. Right. No host. Meant mm-hmm. meant on the upside, it meant it went faster. Yep. Right. It meant there was a lot less sort of padding and mm-hmm. routines and sketches yep. and not too many. Well, actually, I don't think there are any of those kind of pointless montages of things that they do sometimes. You mm-hmm. know, the movies are all about oh, action, yeah, yeah. and then you get no, like no, no, five no. minutes of just random scenes from films. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, there was none of that, right? So that was the upside. The mm-hmm. downside is that it had no kind of through line. It had no coherence other than here's a bunch of people stepping on stage to announce the winner of an award, right? And that was it. You had a couple of little sketches with um, with Melissa McCarthy. You had that uh, was funny. Tina Fey and, and funny. Amy Poehler and Maya that was sort uh, of funny. Rudolph, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there were a couple of moments, but mm-hmm. really, it was just it was like rattle through it, mm-hmm. give everybody their gold, and let's get mm-hmm. to the party. Get them out of here to the party. Yeah. So, as a TV event, a bit flat. In mm-hmm. terms of the choices, like who won, two ways of looking at that. I would say that they did a pretty good job of spreading the love. So that a lot of a lot of films that were both critically adored and popular mm-hmm. got acknowledgement, mm-hmm. right? and that's that's one of the again one of the complaints about the Oscars in recent years is that it, it has acknowledged obscure films that nobody went to see. You know, The Hurt Locker was one of the most uh, egregious examples of that. Nobody had seen it in America at the time. It won okay. Best Picture. Moonlight a couple of years ago, same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. both both very good films, sure, sure, but they were not films that people were excited about. So 
I think that this year you had Bohemian Rhapsody getting a bunch of awards. Not a film that I that I think is a great one, but a lot of people would disagree with me. Mm-hmm. And it's it got it got a bunch of awards, including yep. you know perhaps ridiculously Rami Malek, but not his teeth for best actor. <laughs> um, it, you know I think. On the other hand, you had Roma picking up a bunch of awards, and that's a film that has taken precisely zero dollars at the American box office because it's not at the American box office. Technically, it hasn't been. Yeah, I mean, it has. It has actually taken some money, but but you know, a very notional amount. So, I think that not a bad kind of way of divvying up mm-hmm. the spoils. Mm-hmm. But best picture to Green Book. Mm. <laughs> what I say about best picture to Green Book. Speaking of worthy films, that's mm. definitely in the worthy category. You've got Green Book, mm. a lot of, you know, quite a few films mm-hmm. in the Best mm-hmm. Picture category. But what to me was the elephant in the room, the the elephant dressed in mauve mm-hmm. in the room. Spike. Spike Lee. <laughs> He's a very be, tiny elephant. Who, uh, <laughs> a pygmy elephant. <laughs> who famously said at uh, Cannes, was it 1989, when Do the Right Thing was pipped at the post by Sex, Lies and Videotape, mm. we was robbed. Yep. Not like that, of course. Um a film where a white man teaches a black man how to be an authentic black man yeah. up against a film where an actual um, – a true story – another true story where an actual black man actually does something to make the United States a better place mm. for black men and black mm. women mm. and, while not taking down the Ku Klux Klan, infiltrates it and, and, and does this tremendous work. And, and it's an enjoyable film. It's, 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 it's one of his best films or his best film in many years for me. And, and the insult to Africa America to have that film, Green Book, beat this film, Black Klansman, I thought was glaring and, and, and an uncomfortable thing. Fortunately, as far as I recall, the camera didn't find Spike Lee sitting there in his chair. Well, Spike was, I think, out of his chair, mm-hmm. had his back turned during the speeches in protest. There you are. I mean, look, Spike. There you are. I, I admire Spike Lee. Yeah. I, I admire his films. Uh, I think he can be extremely petulant. Right? Yes. Oh, he can. I think he absolutely can. I don't think yep. he showed a lot he of can. grace around around no, this. He never does show grace. Not, no, he's not, not really. known for showing grace. But but I think that I think Black Klansman is a better film than Green Book. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a piece about this. I wrote a piece about okay. why the choice of Green Book infuriated so many people and why it's I think like they're right since, to since be the Academy Awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. today. Uh, yes, already uh, yesterday. In okay. Fact. Right. Um, and, and at heart, I think that you know it, it was an awards ceremony where diversity was oozing from every pore. It was right. It and, was. And but less stridently than than I would say in recent years, where mm-hmm. where we've had the uh, Oscars so white campaign, we've had the Me Too campaign, we've had a lot of things that were about pushing political agendas. This year, it was just kind of like it was almost like they they'd sort of you know the the. The activists mm-hmm. had gone. We've gained a bit of ground. We'll take the foot off the pedal this year. We'll just we'll just see how this rides, mm-hmm. right? So they, they just it was diversity was there. Nobody was making huge statements. No, but it was you know you could see that Hollywood is now not just this old white male club. There's a there's a bit more going on, right? At least in terms of the public facing aspect mm. of it. Um, it doesn't change who is running the studios. So let's no, leave no. that aside for a moment. <laughs> um, and you had I think in the best picture category and. And when, when we talk about the, the best picture f- mm-hmm. uh, at the Oscars, it's the best of those that were nominated. Okay, yeah, yeah, It doesn't yeah. mean that it's necessarily the best film that was released last year. For me, that would be Leave No Trace. That would mm-hmm. be the best American film I saw last year. 
hands down and it wasn't anywhere to be seen in, yeah. these, in these awards. There are other films that you could throw in there too that aren't necessarily American, you know. Some yeah. are, some are not. But anyway, from those eight, you had a bunch of films, not all of them, but a lot of those films actually had something interesting and, and exciting to say that, what, that spoke to the times, that spoke to the notions of diversity, that spoke to diverse experience. They weren't all, as some people have, have commented in re- response to the piece, I wrote, they weren't all like pushing white men are bad kind of angles. They weren't all like, you know, flying the the diversity flag, I mean, per se. They were just films about experiences outside of those that we already know really, really well. Thank you, Hollywood, for telling those stories over and over again. Mm. I mean, A Star is Born is a story that has been told over and over again, right? (laughs) Four times. Bohemian (laughs) Bohemian Rhapsody, much as I will will take it down, it at least did in some nominal way address the the notion of Freddie Mercury's sexuality and his struggle to come to terms with that and be accepted, you Mm. know, in the the music industry. Not in a very bold Mm. or brave way, but it did somehow do something with that. Roma is a film that actually really, you know, the more I think about this film, the more I like it, really, more than I did when I first first saw it. I, I think it's it talks about class and it talks about ethnicity and it talks about prejudice in Mexico in a really, really subtle way. It's not banging on about it. Mm. It's just there. You feel you've got this kind of lived experience of this this woman who really only exists as an indentured servant, you mm. know? It's like it's a very powerful film in a very quiet way. Well, it's a mirror as well for Americans who who only experience Mexico as as a place that their president despises yeah. and I won't I don't need to go and say the things that Donald Trump says about Mexico and the wall you've heard them or if you haven't you can find them and look them up. There's those people who haven't got a real life experience of what Mexico or what Mexican people are like. Yeah. And then there's the people of Hollywood whose only experience of Mexicans is as servants and yeah. maids and yeah. groundskeepers and yeah. nannies and so, so forth. So, you know, Roma offers something different. Mm. You know, uh, Black Panther, or, although it's in the fantasy space, mm. it's it's a really interesting piece of work because it, re, it readdresses the whole dialectic of Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X. What is the right way for black empowerment to, to find its feet, you know, in, in America? Do they resolve that in that film? Yeah. They do? Oh, yeah, let's good. just say Malcolm doesn't come off looking too good in it. Oh. You know? oh. Well, no, oh. Malcolm's been... <laughs> Really, <laughs> don't get too literal about it, okay? Don't get too literal. Well, I, have, I haven't seen it's the a film. superhero movie. I, I haven't seen the film. So Black Panther yeah. is obviously about mm. a particular political moment and and, and a response. And so the title is not an accident. Not uh, no. sorry, Black Klansman. Sorry, Black Klansman. <laughs> so I think but uh, my Black point, Cla- my Black point Clans- being here yeah. that there are a lot of films yeah. that do stuff that's really interesting. Yeah. That that goes to that whole notion of like let's make the movies about something broader than reflecting white middle class male experience. Yeah. Uh, and you know about about old men falling in love with young women and all that kind of nonsense, mm. and it and, and sorry Eric Roma and I guess that in the end the film that was chosen as the best and it's important to point out here that the the best picture is chosen on preferential voting right mm-hmm. so it may just be that Green Book was the film that was a lot of people's second or third second or fourth third. Yeah. favorite oh, that's very didn't get I didn't eliminated. know that yeah. I didn't know that's really important yeah. that it's so, preferential voting. Yeah. I haven't even talked about the favourite, which was hands down my favourite film amongst the eight nominees for Best yeah. Picture, right? But th- these are films that did something different. Green Book is a film that gave you a tired old trope of a story yeah. about, as you say, the yeah. white saviour myth, you know. It is driving Miss Daisy flipped. Yeah. It is basically the same story. Mm. It's even in the same setting. It's in, it's a, car, in a car, man. It's, it's even a in a car. car. in the south. In a car in the south, you know. So... 
I, you know, I don't think it's a terrible film. I think it's an okay film. I'm sure film. it's probably not a terrible it's film. It's a pleasant film. It's They're got great the, moments. It's good got actors, two, I two imagine. Good you know, I've seen yeah. only one of them in things. But, yeah, always enjoy it, especially probably for the reason that you claim to not be really enjoying Married at First Sight, which I got to see a lot more of by watching it on – by watching Channel 9 mm-hmm. and watching – like only Just the, the ads, fir- you mean? Only the first 15 <laughs> awards, but I got to see plenty of Married at First Sight advertisements, um, which – it's. It's, it, it, it remains, do you need some counselling? I, I feel I do. I, I feel that it, it <laughs> remains to be one of the most horrible things visited upon a witless nation of morons in the, the however long television has been going. It, That's it, no way to talk about the people I love. <laughs> it, it shames us as a nation, a television program like that. But anyway, uh, I love the Oscars and my... I, I wasn't doing too well in my predictions. Mm. The, f- the first four awards, uh, I hadn't predicted any. And after those four, I said, right, I'm not going to predict what I think should or will. What I just might I like. It's all right. going to be on what I like. Right. And in the end, I got six out of 15 right, which is no great kind of – no great, great, great odds. Well, just one final thing I'd like to say yeah. about the Oscars is, is about a film that uh, won, won Best Supporting Actress for Regina King. It's mm-hmm. If Beale Street Could Talk, based on a James Baldwin novel from 1974. Oh, and we're out of time. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. I only caught up with it um, that like the weekend before the Oscars. I mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to see it. It was the only one of the sort of major nominees I haven't caught. And it is just – it's a stunning film. And it really, for me, is about uh, – a simple story about uh, a young black couple. The guy's 22, the woman's 19 – he gets uh, – they're building a life together, right? He's a sculptor. They're looking to rent a loft in uh, downtown set in the early 1970s. And uh, she gets pregnant and then he's arrested on a trumped-up charge of raping a white woman. And he basically goes to jail. And the story sort of – it's told in a sort of circular way, so it's not straight linear narrative – there's, it's by Barry Jenkins who made Moonlight, so it's got something of the same slightly dreamlike kind of feel. Uh, it is beautiful because it takes you inside that whole Black Lives Matter story in in such a powerful way. Here's a guy who's in jail. He's not he's not dead. He hasn't killed anybody. He's not you know. In fact, he's done nothing. But he's he's a statistic. He's just another young black man in jail who has a kid on the way, that kid is going to be brought up without a father on the scene and uh, a mother who's going to raise that child and all all the cycle of the fatherless child will play out again. Now, that story gets told so often in American uh, political discourse as a failure of black men to to parent their kids and to actually see it put in a, a completely different framework is so moving, so powerful beautifully acted beautifully shot it's just a stunning film it's on at the cinema now but you you'll have to work pretty hard to mm. find it it's not on in a lot of sessions or a lot of places but i, I went to see it at the jam factory on a sunday afternoon yeah. i was the only person in the cinema <sighs> so lucky it, it, yeah you, you'd love it but you know I, all i could feel was yeah i mean sure it's great to have the room to yourself but yeah. all i could feel was sadness that other people weren't sharing that experience but I mean, they may have like, already gone when it was released the yeah, first time i'm like, sure you're, you're the, you're the sure, guy that's yeah, late yeah. you know <laughs> Anyway, that's If Beale Street Could Talk. If you get a chance, I really urge you to go and check it out. I've read a book called My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Did you read it in your holidays? No, no, no. I, I read it... Uh, just, read it at work. Just this week. No, not at work. But I did, it did only take me four days. It's, it's a Ooh. book that probably should be read with the same languor that the 
unnamed protagonist is planning to live the next year of her life. Right. But there's something about it that is is compelling and, and you keep wanting to keep turning the page and turning the page. There's no – nothing really happens. There's right. no real plot. But As you'd expect in a book in about a, book. a year of rest well, relaxation. Yeah, I mean, Florence Nightingale did it. I think Elizabeth Barrett Browning did it. Um, and and for, for different reasons than either of those two real-life heroines, um, the unnamed title character who is spoiled in the sense that she has everything she could ever need from mm. an inheritance, her – her parents are both dead. Right. She has a, a, a property that she's renting out. She doesn't need to live in it. The family home. She's paid for her apartment. She's got. Uh, she's 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 living the dream. She's living the dream, and she she and, well, uh, and she does well, end I up. I to add that I, I, I'm not dreaming that my parents will suddenly <laughs> no, drop no. dead. But, but it does end up having something of a dreamlike quality. Yeah. Uh, her her family life was terrible. She was unloved and and barely. Is this, can I just? Mm. Yeah. Backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Is this a memoir or a no, novel? No, no, it's a novel. It's a novel. Okay. It's a novel. So, yeah. the, so the, the, the main character, who unfortunately is unnamed, because so I, I can't keep referring yeah. to her as, as Gwen or Julie, it's an unnamed character. She has a family that never showed her, mum and dad, that never really showed right. her any love. And she's turned into a, a cynical, quite nasty and mean-spirited human being. She's had this on-again, off-again boyfriend who's cruel and abusive, brutal to her that she can't seem to shake her feelings for and she started to get into this cycle of taking all kinds of pharmaceuticals to numb the pain to knock her out so she can go to sleep and at the start of the book she's sleeping about 12 hours a day and it occurs to her she is living the dream yeah, she really yeah. is she has a job in an art gallery which whose who's main Client is that what you call the artists of art gallery? Are they the client, the artist, or the the purchaser? The the, the, the person, the main exhibitor, seems to be based on a well-known artist. Who, if I said the nationality, you'd probably guess who it was. And I'm reluctant to even say that because I I could be wrong. But I really suspect if you read this book and you know a little tiny bit about contemporary art, you'll know exactly who was being skewered by Otessa Moshfeg in My Year of Rest and Relaxation. However, are you going to? You're going to give no, the nationality? No, not even I'm the not, nationality. Not the nationality. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, I haven't read any reviews of this You're book. Such a tease. I haven't, you read really any, are. I haven't read any reviews, so it could be that somebody has already mentioned who they think yeah. this artist is. So this woman <laughs> decides to leave her job in the gallery, which she doesn't need anyway, Banksy. and finds herself a psychiatrist who's relentlessly incompetent and bizarre, who just hands her over sample after sample and uh, experimental tablet after experimental tablet for her to work out a way to get her complete, like she's worked out if I can just sleep for this much time, get up, go to the toilet, go back to sleep. This, And it turns out the pain of this relationship with a man named Trevor, mm. whose favourite film is Nine and a Half Weeks. Okay. Okay. Uh, she needs to get over I this. already hate Trevor. And, oh, so do I. And <laughs> look, I have to say, one of the best things about this book is how, and this is a, a popular word and, and, and I'm going to use it, how relatable it is. Mm. I can actually relate to the idea of suffering some terrible trauma and just wanting it to go away, knowing you can't, waking up each morning going, <gasps> and then remembering it and wishing, not that you were dead, but wishing that somehow you weren't there, that you were somewhere else where that, either hadn't happened or you were so far into the future that it was well behind you and you were able to think thoughts that were untarnished, untarnished by this memory untarnished by the memory yeah mm. um 
she likes to do nothing. She doesn't want to do anything. She doesn't want to watch even any films that, that are any good. She just watches Harrison Ford and Whoopi Goldberg movies on a VHS over and over and over and over again. Hold on, hold on a second. I mean, there are some Harrison Ford movies that I would watch over and over and over again. I'll say, Blade the, I'll say the conversation, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> she has a friend who she was so nasty to, called Reva. The only friend she has who comes over from time to time to tell her how much she loves her and talk about her latest diet and everything. One remark she makes about her is uh, at the, towards the end of the book, she says, thank God for her whiny, moronic, analgesic. <laughs> that is her voice. So <laughs> what she does is get this cocktail of pharmaceuticals, but the, da- the thing is that she hasn't got it right. She starts having blackouts. You're not going to give away the entire no, 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 story. No, 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 no. You say that every time I talk about a book. I know. Whereas we have to listen to every person you've ever worked with on The Age and every article. Anyway. Oh, that's, that's uncalled. Anyway, um, she starts disappe- like having disappearances where she wakes up and she's somewhere else or she's bought all this stuff online or she finds some, some, some evidence that she's left the apartment, which she doesn't want to do. And so she, works, she finally works out the right balance and works out how she's going to manage this year. And the year by now is the year 2001, which is significant. The book set in New York, and she, I think, achieves what she wants to achieve. But there, are, it's not without casualties, and it is a satisfactory, a not satisfactory, satisfying ending. Um, and it's it's a very good examination of how people feel when a relationship, a bad one, especially a bad one, won't can't you can't get its claws out of your body you know you feel like you've got some creature attached to you and you can't shake it now Uh, Atessa Mosfeg mm. uh, Mm. I feel that I recognise this name Mm you've talked about uh, her writing before I think haven't you we have yeah Yeah. Uh, uh, um, she's written a book called Eileen and a book called McTeague I think and a book of short stories uh, whose name immediately just has gone out of my mind in Mm. my thing like this yeah Homesick for another world, right? And that was that, that was, was the one that, that we about. talked yes. about. Yeah. This is a powerful book that will, I think, sometimes things take you by surprise when mm. you when you flick open a page and something recollects something in your own life or moves you in a way that you don't expect to be moved. You, it's it reminds you a little Brad Easton Ellis of this book, like the, yeah, the right. slick humor and the nastiness and the, the cataloging of of items and, and names and brands and things like that. It's set in New York. So, you know, uh, I think that it's something that a lot of people would, would relate to in the sense that there's no escape. Okay. <laughs> Death is no escape. <laughs> There's no escape from how you feel about something. And this attempt is a laudable attempt. It's a rich girl who doesn't need any, any job or anything. She's hot. She, she's in reasonably good health, though the kind of damage that all these pharmaceuticals are doing to her, I'm not sure how that's going. But the idea that you could just sleep away your problems, that you could just go to sleep for a year and just just that year, and I and I get up and I'll be cleansed, and I'll be cleansed. Mm. And it's a it's a very tantalising idea. She she talks about how she sometimes wishes that Trevor were dead, not because she wishes he was dead per se, but that the fact that he's alive means every memory of every experience that she doesn't want to have, but she can't help but having, offers a chance of reconciliation which is a very profound thing to say about, about a relationship that, that sh- probably shouldn't have existed but did and that she can't 
you know, she can't just can't let go of. She, I mean, she stalks him a little bit in this. She's not your favourite human being that you've ever met, but I really love spending time with this character and I, I love the book and can't wait to read it again. Almost immediately I finished it, I thought, man, I want to get into this again, but I'm going to give it some space, you know, maybe have, have my own rest and relaxation <laughs> from Otessa Moshfeg and then get back <laughs> into it a few months from now. The title is My Year of Rest and Relaxation. The author is Otessa Moshfeg. I believe it's out in Penguin. Andrew, I went to the uh, theatre on the weekend. Oh, I love the theatre. Do you? Oh, I do. Okay. Man, I love the theatre. Okay, now I'm going to suggest yeah. that the theatre I went to see yeah. might not figure amongst your sense of why you love the theatre. I went to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It's an abusive theatre. <laughs> an abusive theatre. There's so much stuff going on at the moment that I it's knew, an abusive theatre. I knew you'd feel that way because I peered into the poncier before I started talking <laughs> about this. So. Anyway, uh, it's, it's the biggest thing mm. in theatre since sliced... Um, Watermelon. Well, I was going to say lady assistants of magicians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was big for a while, wasn't it? Was it? Big, yeah, it was big. Yeah, yeah. Uh, funnily enough, they ran out of uh, volunteers for that job. Um, it is It is really it's – it's a play in two parts. Okay. Okay. Uh, sort on Saturday at the, the official opening. Mm-hmm. So basically it started at 1.30 in the afternoon mm-hmm. and it finished at about 20 to 10 at night. In between – there was a uh, people left the Princess Theatre en masse, went up to the Royal Exhibition Building and were fed, and then came back to watch the second part, which You've began at about seven. Got to be kidding me! So it's about five hours of stage time. Okay, so it's it's a lot. Look, it, it's that a lot. Value for money, right? That's what we're talking about. Value for money. Well, no, because you buy tickets to both parts. You don't you don't buy one ticket and that's oh done. oh oh. It's it's a so know, it's two plays. It's two plays. It's like it's two plays. Yeah, it's not. I'm not saying you take a break. Henry the Fourth interval. Part One. No, Henry the fourth I'm not part saying two. Peter Brooks Mahabharata. I'm saying this is yes. two plays, oh. and uh, most nights of the week they're running one part, mm-hmm. and then you'll see another part on another night. Okay. Okay. So you don't see them back to back on Saturday. You can see you them. Can see you can see them as a, as a is double. it cheaper? No, it's. Uh, I think the sort of. Uh, Regular, regular sort of top ticket prices are about 160 bucks per part, um, but they are doing cheap release tickets for mm. f- uh, $40. They release 40 tickets every Friday at $40, and is a ballot, so people can basically mm-hmm. enter that and try to get a ticket for the following week. Okay, uh, I think there are some discounted tickets at about 65 mm-hmm. so per part. Uh, it's not a cheap exercise, no. but it is it is absolutely incredible as a piece of theatre in terms of. The production of it, it yeah. is full of how did they do that kind of moments. Well, because it's magic. It is it? magic. Yeah, That's magic exactly show. what it is. I yeah. mean, it is. I don't know if you've read any of the Harry Potter books. I can't yes, imagine. You do. you do know. Okay, you, you do know. Have you? Yes. You have I not. Have, I have not read yeah. any of the and Harry Potter books. Or are you books. about to? I will never read yeah. the so Harry Potter books. I didn't have books. to ask you. You did not. No. Because again, the Ponsiev told me. I, I knew what, the Ponsiev is. It's this soothsaying device. It's a like a bowl and. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's from the it's from the books. It's Should from I the books. Go and let you probably on probably. Own. Hang on. I'm just gonna <laughs> disapparo. Oh no! I know. Is it I, in Esperanto? Is it's it? in Esperanto. All the spells are in es- Esperanto. I think that was actually a bogus spell I just hey. did there. Anyway, it's it's. Um, that's why nothing happened. No, that's right. That's why you're still here, <laughs> hexing me even now. <laughs> hey, look, it's you can be as cynical as you like about about the whole 
world of Harry Potter, and it it, it is a like a, a bizarre and almost unfathomably uh, fathomably successful cultural phenomenon that I I was doing sort of back of the envelope figures the other day, and it, it was kind of, it must be worth that must be ten billion dollars worth mm. of like in terms of book sales. I think I think Rowling's books have sold something like four hundred and fifty million copies. The the eight movies I don't know what the combined box office was, but it would be in the many billions. Mm. Uh, there's there's theme park rides, there's merchandise, there's the, this like endless proliferation of content and material around this this cultural phenomenon. Mm. So it is it is very easy to be cynical about it. I don't think it. you can and say I'm cynical. No, no, I'm not saying you. I'm saying yeah, one yeah, could very easily yeah, dismiss yeah. it as just another bit of merchandising, bit of product, right? And, oh, it, yeah. and it is that, right? Yeah. It, undoubtedly, it is that. And it it has all the pros and cons of the Potter stories, which is that they operate in this very sort of schematic world of good versus evil and, you know, life and death and peril. And uh, you, you always, you, you're never in any doubt about what the ultimate resolution will mm. be. Uh, but it is pretty great. Yeah. I, I took I took my thirteen year old daughter to it, and she loved it. Uh. I was sitting next to a couple of guys who are twenty one, twenty three, so they're in that sweet spot of they grew up with the books mm-hmm. and the movies. Mm-hmm. And the twenty three year old said at the end of the first part, "Oh my god, this is the best day of my life," and it was absolutely genuine, wow. absolutely oh, genuine throughout. Throughout the first part in particular, mm. the guy sitting next to me, the 21-year-old, at regular intervals was saying, what? How did they do that? <laughs> you had people on stage suddenly becoming somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it, and like the answer to how did they do that is old school. Mm. They, they used old school stagecraft, trapdoors, wires, uh, light and shadow. I mean, just really the kind of basic trickery of the theatre that's been around for a very, very long time. Mm. But it is done brilliantly. Mm. It is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. In the end, I would say that the second half kind of feels like, you know, a lot of the great moments have already happened yeah. in the first half. But if you care about the story, you will want to see But like you say, ends. you know how it's going to end. Well. You know how it's going to end. You know how it's going to end, but you don't know how it's going to end. You yeah. know, it's... You could just see one, couldn't you? <laughs> you could. See one. I mean, you could buy a ticket to one, yes. Yeah, you could buy a ticket to one yeah. and leave it feeling very satisfied. No? I, I think I think if you, if you had any kind of investment in the story, mm. you would feel not very satisfied. You would want to see how it had ended. You, you would want to see how things turned out. You couldn't out. surmise how, how it would Well, end. you might know how it's going to end, but, mm. you might, but you would still derive pleasure from seeing how they get to that point. Okay. Oh, I think. Okay. Yeah. Trust me on it. Because, I mean... No, I do. You, you don't sure, want to go and see sure. it. You've seen, you've seen it, so you know. You can tell me. No, you've got to see part two, Matt. I would say that for anybody who has any any interest at all, then I think you should basically say, right, I'm scrimping and saving my pennies now mm, so that I have 320 bucks, bucks. To, uh, to see both parts. Uh, I would probably suggest you stagger it. Don't do it on the same day. I'd be staggering. Then, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd take in a six pack of the Cooper's Red Sparkling Ale. Yeah, maybe to maybe. enhance my enjoyment. Maybe an inflatable mattress to you know, <laughs> put it out in the aisle at half time. Yeah. Look, look, it's it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's here 
at least for a year, and it I would say it's almost certainly going to be playing in Melbourne for a minimum of two years. Uh, the Princess, I think the Princess is configured for about 1,400 people at mm-hmm. the moment. Mm-hmm. They've they've just released uh, a, tranche of, a tranche of tickets up to February 2020. Yeah. Right? So we're, we're you know, we're now in February yeah. 2019. So that's a year. I've got a year's worth of solid bookings. Not everything is sold out, but a lot of solid yeah. bookings. yeah. It will keep. This will be a huge show. It's. Mm. It, it opened in London in 2016, I think it was. Yeah. Won a truckload of um, of Olivia Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. They're the good ones. Also, they're the good ones. They're the good it's ones. also won in New York, and yeah. now it's here. This is the third place in the world, good. and it's the only place it'll be showing in Australia. So, if oh, you want to see are. it, there you are. There's some very cheap flights you happening see it, at the come moment. To Melbourne. Very cheap forty dollars flights going, on going across the continent, people. So if you need to go anywhere. I'm talking on the 27th of February. If you need to go anywhere, check it out. Okay. Oh, Winton Marsalis, 165 bucks or 160. Right. So, you know, that's with two orchestras and one trumpeter. One ma- well, there's lots of trumpeters, you know. So that's, that to me is a lot of money to pay. But then you've got orchestras are big and you've got two of them plus mm. him. And it'll probably be a, a fairly long show. I would mm. say it would be maybe two sets of 40 minutes-ish each. So you could kind of see that as being a good value show, Winton Marsalis. Oh, you can see it as being $160. Yeah, that I don't have to spend on Winton Marsalis. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It's at the Princess Theatre in Melbourne, and it will be playing for a very, very long time. That's it for the Clappers. Thank you for listening to us. If you like us, join the Facebook group. I actually put something up the other day. Carl? Really? What was it? I can't remember. It was really interesting. No, it, was, it was an article on Australian women artists. Ah, yes. So there's something else too I was going to put up. If I haven't done it yet, I will do it soon. Because I love that Facebook. Yep. I'm always putting things on it, man. Don't worry. <laughs>